in Houston. I'm John Herter. It's Tuesday, 11th day of April. Great as always to have you along, everybody. In a nutshell, From the Experts is a virtual networking opportunity flow accelerator, helping leaders across industries connect very quickly in a brief, moderated, interactive show format. Yeah, like a TED Talk with interaction. And if all goes well, your curiosity sparked, new ideas accelerate action, and you may have helped yourself or somebody else solve that problem, make the connection, reaching the opportunity faster. Networking has never been more important to your business. A quick thank you to our show sponsors, Endeavor Institute, Unique Ventures, Ecosystem 2030, and the Canon, and to each of you, our individual FTE members. Your support is vital to our continuing this important work together. Folks, help me welcome guest expert Santiago Canel. A hydrogen pricing analyst with S&P Global Commodity Insight, Santiago has a background in environmental geoscience, hydrology, and natural systems. He's also a Texas A&M Research Scholar graduate. Out of university and transitioning into the energy markets, Santiago realized that economics and finance were core and vital to helping this world decarbonize and a great place for him to make an impact. Welcome, Santiago. We have a diverse group of people for you here today, uh, but the, everybody is interested in connecting and learning more about the development of this low carbon hydrogen and ammonia markets. Really grateful to have you. Yeah, share and connect some of the dots on this important topic for us today. Thanks, John. Um, thanks for, for hosting this FTE and for everyone joining. It's a great opportunity to um, tell you guys a little bit more about commodity, what Commodity Insights does, but also brainstorm and have a conversation about, um, as the title says, the pricing model and the price structure of both green ammonia and blue ammonia, right? So um, as an introduction, we are Commodity Insights as a provider of energy and commodities information and a source benchmark for price assessments in the physical commodity markets. You can think in terms of natural gas, agriculture, um, dated brand oil, but now that we're transitioning into low carbon fuels like uh, carbon, uh, carbon credits, hydrogen, and ammonia, we also have to be strategic. And as a price reporting agency, we want to be part of this development of the low carbon ammonia hydrogen market. So I will share a little bit about more how we currently approach the pricing structure of, of this market, the tools that Commodity Insights brings to the table, and tell you more about the market conditions and the major challenges that I'm hearing from, from, parting, from market participants. And hopefully we can have, we can get some feedback and get the ball rolling in a, in a discussion. So I came back this week from Hydrogen Market America's Conference in San Diego, long, 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 long name for it, <laughs> um, very long, but also last month was Sarah Week and WPC, World Petrochemical Conference in Houston. And the main challenge, main challenges that I took from these, the conferences in the low carbon ammonia and hydrogen space was that was the one the pricing of low carbon commodities. How do you price green, uh, blue compared to the the incumbent dirty commodity, right? And in terms of the pricing, its relationship to it. Um, and the second thing more on the project development side, because Joffrey and the people who joined here at the beginning were talking about that, is the bankability of these projects. How do you, how do you get to FID, the path to financing um, these projects and getting to FID? Do you get an offtake before that, 
or do you get a sub subsidy? And the key thing is the time frame of that. What is how will the time frame impact your cost and eventually the price? And the third thing, circling to price, which is also the second thing, honestly, is what will the price be at the end? And its relationship to the current market and the financial structure in your offtake or within your, your time frame of your levelized, levelized cost, when you will depreciate that asset, um, et cetera, and so on, right? So as I've mentioned, Commodity Insights, what we do, what we pride ourselves in doing is giving market information uh, so that the market can develop in the form of pricing. And um, also bringing transparency to the market so that market participants can act with conviction and so on, so on. So I'm just gonna give a short explanation of hydrogen and ammonia it's for the people who aren't familiar with it. So for hydrogen, it's mostly or all exclusively used in redundant for oil refinery or crude oil refinery for the desulfurization process and also for ammonia synthesis and the chemical production. And then second, ammonia is usually used for fertilizers or downstream products like urea, also fertilizers, UAN, or for petrochemicals. And you could classify this as the Haber-Bosch process as we learned it in school. Um, but the main question is why are we even talking about these two commodities? Um, I, I would label them as commodities because they're traded. Um, in the energy transition, why are we talking about them in the energy transition? And the reason is that hydrogen, we believe that hydrogen has the potential as a low carbon fuel and energy carrier from places where renewable capacity is very high to regions where renewable capacity is low or it's cost competitive where there's an arbitrage for that. And we forecast that from 2020 to 2050, we believe that there will be a 3X increase. So from current hydrogen production of 72 million to 2050, we believe it's gonna be growth to 72 million to 251 million metric tons. So that's 3X, that's for hydrogen production. And then for ammonia, Obviously, ammonia, ammonia demand will continue to grow as the population increases, but we, we see that ammonia, ammonia will grow as an energy carrier for hydrogen exports because ammonia, NH3, and its chemical formula contains hydrogen. Therefore, it could be used as an energy carrier. And I'll talk a little bit more about that as the conversation evolves, right? So for pricing, given there is limited spot market for ammonia, roughly of the 110, 120 million metric tons of ammonia produced, there's only 10 to 15% for the spot market. And then for hydrogen, it's mostly contractual. The tools that we bring to the market to help them under project developers, to help project developers understand and manage the risk is since 2019, Commodity Insights published hydrogen cost of production. And what we did was if you can imagine a map of the US, I mean, we have this in globally, but for the US speaking, we did a cost of production for hydrogen all across the US and in the major hubs. And you could see geographically where it was more, most cost competitive to produce hydrogen based on your feedstock, that was one. And then the second thing is temporarily, based on the time, based on the fluctuation of your feedstock, you could see when it was more cost effective to produce that hydrogen. Right, so that was done in 2019. We had assumptions for capex, opex, 
um, in the lifetime of the plant. Um, and that was reflective of what we were seeing in the market for the major hydrogen producers to have their um, to have those assumptions. And then on ammonia, we did something similar, even though there's a conventional ammonia market, we have a spot spot price for that. Like I said, 10% of the global global supply is for the spot market. So we we do have spot indications and there's a spot market, we cover it. But then for the blue ammonia and then the green ammonia, if if you don't know what those are, I'll just briefly explain them. Conventional ammonia is used as feedstock, natural gas through a process called steam ethanol reforming. Blue ammonia, same process, except it uses CCS, carbon capture and storage. Um, in the US Gulf Coast, we see roughly 90% capture rate. So that's the color of blue. And then green is ammonia produced using um, green hydrogen or hydrogen produced using renewable energy. And it splits um, H2O, hydrogen, and you get the H2O, you get the hydrogen, and you use that to produce ammonia. So we, we did a blue ammonia assessment to the US Gulf Coast so that project developers can see where the price could be at or will be at most likely. And it's usually, it's done so that we can get the ball rolling, um, bringing that transparency to the market and understanding it. And then on the green ammonia side, we also have an assessment, assessment on that um, based on the trade flows that where we see ammonia going to be exported. So those are the tools that we bring to the table. And obviously welcome to, I'm more than open to speaking about other tools that I'm missing <laughs> in the conversation, right? So painting the big picture here is we have the drivers for decarbonization. Companies want to decarbonize if they want, if they're private, they have net zero goals, or even if they're public, they have net zero goals, either 2030, 2050, or they want to be competitive, right? They have to, they, they want to bring a low carbon product to their stakeholders or their um, employees, not employees, but their customers. Um, and also they want to phase out their dirty production, but they want to leverage their, their infrastructure that they already have. So it underst that's understandable. And then the third thing is global economics, economic conditions, right? You have extremely elevated cost in Northwest Europe, and you have very low feedstocks in the U.S. Gulf Coast. So you have chemical producers, I won't mention them, but you have chemical producers recently, last month, um, announced in press releases that they were going to cut the production um, in Northwest Europe. And where are they going to fill that gap from, right? So you see it, there's a change in trade flows from places where it's cost competitive to produce um, either hydrogen or ammonia or your chemical feedstocks. So on the second driver is, of, of course, policy. And I won't get too much into the policy side because it's so, it's, it's, it's a lot of context. However, I am going to mention the, the, the big ones. And then in the questions, if they come up, I have my, my, my notes here of, of the context of it. So the first one is obviously the Inflation Reduction Act for the US. Excuse me. That's the first one that you have to mention. And what that is, it includes a production tax credit that could put hydrogen at a negative, meaning you could a producer could make a lot of money from it. Um, there are some things that you have to qualify for. And then um, within the Inflation Reduction Act, there's also carbon credit for um, ammonia producers that are looking to uh, sequester a portion of that carbon. The, the second policy for the U.S. is the bipartisan infrastructure law. I won't go into it. The third one is the hydrogen hub funding, which was um, most of the hubs applied yesterday, if you did not see in the news. And then for Northwest Europe, it's the carbon border adjustment mechanism. Um, 
obviously won't, won't mention too much of it, but it's extremely important for people or for producers that are going to, to export into, into Europe. And then the third one is the EU repower strategy. And it wasn't very important for the ammonia market until they published their delegated act on renewable hydrogen, basically um, being a step ahead, being a step ahead of, of the US on classifying what, what, um, what is it, the, the rule for the clean hydrogen production. So that is really important for the global hydrogen and ammonia space. And then there's other guiding posts like the H2 global auction scheme, which basically price, places a price on, on, on green ammonia. It's a $1,282 a metric ton. Uh, that's the cap. It does not mean you're going to get to it. Um, current ammonia in the US Gulf Coast is roughly like 400 ish, $400 per metric ton. So you can see that, that spread, that premium. But of course, that's just the cap. So putting more metrics to this discussion, um, we, we track a lot of projects and we have, according to our estimates, there's more than 160 low carbon ammonia production projects that have been announced. Um, roughly a volume of 120 million tons per year. So that's double the ammonia production that's current right now. We do not expect all of them to be operational and to meet FID um, in five to 10 years, but those are the ones that have been announced. Um, and then of those 160 projects, low carbon projects, 130 are green ammonia, roughly 90 million metric tons. And then 30, 30 projects are blue ammonia, which is roughly 29 million metric tons. So like I said, that, that's dated from November 22. So it's a little bit old um, from last year. However, we believe that not all the, these projects will, will meet FID um, input product uh, in the market. So there's a lot of projects on the table. And the first challenge that we see in the market that I mentioned in the introduction um, is the one that I mentioned, the pricing of this commodity in the future term. Right now you have your baseline, but what will that pricing look in five to 10 years um, when there's, I don't want to call it surplus, surplus uh, product in the market, but when that premium product based on its environmental attributes comes comes online you know is it going to be a premium premium and what is its relationship going to look to that to that baseline um, so there's a lot of there's a lot of funds available to policy and funds and, and credits available to project developers and those are the that is one of the biggest biggest um, biggest challenges but the second the second challenge that I see, is the issue of structuring a bankable low carbon hydrogen and ammonia project. And that is your offtake. If John has an offtake for five years and we have the same CapEx, OPEX, my offtake will be lower if I levelize it for 10 years compared to levelizing for five years. Lower cost, therefore you could offer a lower price. So that's what we're starting to see. Each project is specific to its um, contract structure, to its offtake, or to the credit scheme that it's going to be using. And therefore, that's going to impact the price to the market or the margins, because it does not mean that everyone's going to lower the price, right? Um, that's usually how, how markets are developed. 
So for hydrogen pricing, the pricing, uh, actually before that, do you wanna to go to the poll, John? Sorry about that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, let me share. I'll the try to be a little quick. <laughs> That's good. Here, uh, here are the results from the poll and it tells okay, us pretty, wow. who's here. So 23% ammonia producers. Okay, that's good, hydrogen ammonia producers. Okay, well, that's, that's great data. Um, is this something that everyone can see? Yes, it is. Okay, perfect, that's great. So, so you can see the, the people that are joining us. Go ahead, John. Yeah, no, I was just gonna say, as you're reflecting on that, I've got a couple questions. Uh, one is from Steve Sharp. Well, how do you see the ammonia impacting the automotive or transportation industries specifically? Do you mind if I if I respond to that once I finish, or no, I don't on. want to derail too much. You got it. Keep on plowing through. We've got a couple. Okay, sorry minutes, about that. Just a couple more minutes, and then we'll dive into the questions. Thank you. Yeah, I'll be I'll be quick about it. It's just so much context right. um, for the hydrogen and ammonia side. Just the price discovery process. Right. Um, I mentioned that hydrogen is mostly contractual right now. It's between one player and the other, um, the hydrogen producer and the refinery for the end user. For ammonia, it's it's mostly like that, but there's a 10% that is on the spot market, like I mentioned. Um, but we're, what we're seeing in the, in the green ammonia space is that some producers are willing, this is, to me it's, it's crazy, but are willing to settle for a fixed price for five to 10 years. And the reason that they want that is so that they could get financing um, for their projects. Um, you have your contract, you have it signed, you go to a financial institution, and you could get financing, bank, bankability, financing on that, right? So, uh, to me, that's just that's just, that's just crazy. And the, the other thing is on the pricing side: will it be at a at a premium, or will it not be at a premium based on its environmental 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 attributes and its relationship to to um, the this, the floor price, the market, right? So, I'm just going to conclude. We talked about what Commodity Insights does and what we bring to the, to the market, the tools available to the market. Um, the current market conditions, I could respond to that automated, automotive question, um, where we are headed, decarbonizing both incumbents, where hydrogen and ammonia is going to play to other hard to abate sectors. Um, the policy for low carbon hydrogen and ammonia, the major challenges on the pricing side and the key takeaways, um, basically what I just said. So I'm gonna open it to everyone because I wanna have a discussion on the questions of what pricing structure looks more feasible on the project development side, but also on ammonia producers and what are the key, key risks um, that you see at play. Great, well, thanks very much for that. Uh, we're going to open this up to the floor. It's, uh, uh, for those of you, this is your first time. Uh, we start with a general question um, and uh, we work from there. And if you are, if I call on you, you don't want to uh, participate, that's okay. You can say pass and please raise your hand if you have a question and you would like us uh, to address you. Um, I think with that, let's go forward with the first general question. And you've already stated this in a different way, but I'm going to uh, add it to the mix here right now. Uh, the group question was, well, how do you actually anticipate the pricing and how it will be structured? Uh, for these two commodities and what's at stake and how does it impact your business. So with that, um, I don't see any hands raised right this moment. Let's go back to the questions we have in the chat. We've got a couple from JL, but, but uh, how about this ammonia uh, uh, impacting the automotive and transportation industry? What's your take on that? 
Yeah, of course. So I'll just branch it out to hydrogen and ammonia. Yeah. Um, I'll start with hydrogen because I'm a little bit more familiar on that. There's a California market. We have a hydrogen pump price for that. Um, recently, it's been record highs because of its feedstock, feedstock being natural gas. And um, also LCFS credits are extremely low um, given the surplus of renewable diesel into the market. Um, right now, hydrogen is not competitive in the mobility sector for um, compared to ICE internal combustion engines or electric vehicles. It would have to drop a third, like a third of the price. It's currently $26 a kilogram and you, it would need to drop to $4 to $6 a kilogram. It's extremely expensive right now. Um, and that was also common in ammonia two, two to three months ago, if it were to be used in the automotive industry. I'm just thinking in terms of substitution index because that's just what I'm familiar with. Um, so that's just my response. I know there is some speculation of ammonia being used in the automotive industry. Um, however, on the toxicity and um, just, I, I wouldn't go there, but um, I bet there's someone else better equipped to answer that, that question. Fair enough. So Sanjay Panda, would you just share your question real quick? Sanjay? Uh, yeah. Hi, sorry. Um, um, my question is, uh, in terms of the pricing of ammonia or hydrogen, how is it, is that in the market, is it linked to the oil and gas uh, indexes, or is it linked with the CO2 offsets which it does, uh, or is a combination of both? Thank you, Sanjay. So, clearly, the... Could you mute so uh, the question is, uh, will you link the NH3? Can you see the question yourself? There's Santiago. Will you link the uh, NH3 and H2 prices to fuel equivalents like oil and gas or to CO2 to offset cost or both? If both, what would be the ratio is the general question. I, I can't see the chat. I'm so sorry. That's um, and look for it, but I'm so sorry. I can't. No, no, no. Could you? Did you hear the question? No. Okay. I cannot hear it. I'm so sorry. Can you hear me? So like, I can hear you perfectly. Is it was just the the audio? May I ask a question to the audience really fast? Because yeah. I see someone that Aaron, if if you would mind, if I could ask you, um, it's a pleasure having you here and having someone from Yara. Um, if you could provide any feedback on. On the conversation in terms of the pricing that you're seeing um, for this low carbon ammonia in, in relationship to the current market? Yeah, sure. Um, thank you, Santiago, and thanks, John, for organizing this event. Um, I work for Yara Clean Ammonia, and my role is exactly this pricing. And I think Sanjay's question is very good to set a bit of structure because. Uh, this question is still highly debated. We do not, unfortunately, have a market uh, certainty for pricing for the moment. The way we see it is what would be the value to end consumer. It really depends. Pricing will be highly connected to that. It's not yet a commodity, but it will, the belief is it will turn quickly into a saturated market and a commodity product. So what will be the premium based on? And uh, we highly believe it will be very much related to carbon intensity because that's the direct benefit you are 
providing as a molecule for green or blue hydrogen or ammonia, it's not different to gray, dirty um, hydrogen or ammonia. It's exactly the same molecule, exactly the same function. Other than the production method and carbon intensity, you do not have um, any additional benefit. So the worry with that is carbon intensity, tying the pricing or premium to that, um, will it then guarantee to the supplier a pricing that's uh, that that's below the cost to the producer? So I think what Sanjay says makes sense. It will be connected to both the fuel feedstock mm -hmm. price, but all, as well as the carbon intensity. And how much it will be is re really a big question. It will it will highly depend on supply demand balances. But to me, the most important thing here is to fill this void will be regulations. Once the regulations are set in stone, then we can exact, we can measure the value of this product. Otherwise, without regulations, it's very um, subjective and it's very difficult to make a tangible assessment without it. So just to put my two cents in. <laughs> Thanks, Aaron. Yeah, I didn't hear Sanjay's um, question. I'm so sorry, but I, I do agree with everything that you said. And we do believe that carbon intensity is going to be a, a key key attribute um, for different differentiator for pricing, but also how are we going to certify it? And that's a different discussion that we can have in the future. It's, it's tricky. Um, and there's a lot of groups within the US working on certification, but how will the Inflation Reduction Act tie into hygiene and ammonia? We're still waiting on the treasury to announce that. Um, but I agree 100%, Aaron, and thank you for responding. So let's uh, switch over and get a banker's perspective. We've got one here. Uh, Bray, would you just uh, introduce yourself real quick and share what your yeah. is? Yeah, not a problem at all. Yeah, my name is Bray Vermeon. I currently work at SNBC in their energy division, so more on the corporate banking side. And so from my perspective, with any of these projects, and Santiago's actually heard me talk about this before, it's all about offtake agreements. Because if you can find these offtake agreements where it becomes economically feasible for us to finance and ensure that we're getting our SOFR plus X amount basis points, where, I mean, everything kind of falls into place. And that's where the issue is, is that if you're not able to get some kind of green premium for these green ammonia projects, you're, it just isn't as economically feasible when compared to blue ammonia or higher carbon intensive ammonia, because ammonia is still in H3, no matter which way you look at it. And I don't think a person in uh, Asia who's buying ammonia from the world market is really going to care about where this ammonia is coming from, where the carbon intensity depends on the induction, the end use, so. Got it, thanks for that. Any feedback from the group? Hi, sorry, just to add to what was just said, I think a interlinked question then is, since this is such an emerging market and it's we expect it to quickly turn to a saturated one, if not everyone kind of places the same importance on carbon intensity, like what was just said, you know, if um, market participants in Asia don't care as much about where the ammonia is produced, how can we kind of guarantee that this will grow as much as we predict it to? And how will that then impact pricing structures and what we're doing now? 
Got anybody else want to add to that? We've got some comments in the thing. And also I can see that uh, JL, Jean-Louis, do you have a comment that you want to make on the subject? Yeah. Oh, this is Jay Glass and I just changed my uh, name to include VP. Sorry, I didn't, didn't have a direct comment on that question. Yeah, please go ahead, Jake. Oh, I, I don't have one, sorry. Oh, uh, I, I was talking uh, Jean-Louis Kindler. Do you have a comment to make? The, on yes. yes, yeah, absolutely. Hello, everyone. Uh, I, I, I find interesting that we talk a lot about about our stake, and obviously, if we don't have if we don't have a contract for the product we produce, uh, there will no be no bankability. But uh, I'm 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 currently discussing hydrogen production projects in Europe, and I see I see a lot of situations where basically. What, what what's the biggest challenge for any sort of project bankability is that the the energy cost fluctuation is so high that uh, banks actually feel uncomfortable financing any project even if there is an offtake agreement. So I suspect that bankability and generally speaking the 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 the, 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 the overall um, how should I say. The, the the overall uh, interest of any sort of project is really, and that's probably different from from other uh, energy pathway, is a mix of a lot of different factors, and that's that that that's the carbon impact. That's obviously the presence or not of an offtake agreement. That's also the, the the cost of energy behind all this, plus all sorts of different factors. So sorry, it's more a comment than a question, but. Uh... I, I, I agree. I agree on the offtake portion. Like not everyone is looking for an offtake and not everyone has to look for an offtake. You have big ammonia players that already have their supply chains um, and they, could, they, they were already making this investment prior to the Inflation Reduction Act. Some um, and others after the Inflation Redu Reduction Act got a little boost, um, but others depend on an offtake. I mean, and I agree with what you said, JL, that um, the, the fluctuation in feedstocks, that's why I find it surprising that you would, that one would settle for a, a fixed price. And also I am surprised that it would be the blue money, green, mostly green ammonia would be separate to the price of there. I believe there needs to be a relationship between gray and green, um, because if not, there's gonna be price, there's gonna be times like we saw four months ago where it's more cost effective, cost competitive to produce green if it were online. Um, so yeah, that's my take. Yeah, and actually, I, you know, I, actually, I'm not, I'm not an expert on ammonia side. I'm, more, I'm, I'm more a hydrogen person. But uh, the, the, the other uh, we had in the uh, in the chat uh, in the chat window, we had the comments about the uh, the hydrogen retail price. Mm -hmm. uh, we we need to keep in mind that this retail price, at least this is what I see in Los Angeles, California. Uh, it's about $26 per kilogram at the pump, but that hydrogen, it's not even renewable. It's not even quote unquote green. So, uh, and, and, and it increased from, it was 14, 15, probably something like that last year. Mm -hmm. And that's, and that's only because of the, uh, and I'm, I, I, I almost suspect it's not the, it's partly the actual energy price, but it's also more importantly, more important than that, it's probably the perceived 
concern and 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 fear about the future from the uh, the hydrogen suppliers. Yes, thank you. Which is another uh, factor. Any feedback on that, Santiago? Uh, I don't want to dive too much into the mobility sector, but uh, the reason it was fifteen dollars a kilogram for five months, it was because the war in Russia and Ukraine, uh, feedstock, natural gas, so-called gas, was extremely expensive. But these suppliers weren't increasing their prices until five months later, when they're like, "Okay, we we, we love our we love our customers, but we've we have to pass on a little bit of the cost to them." Um, and that happened in ammonia, and happened in all other commodities. But in ammonia, pricing was taking some time to come down, but there was more margins being made um, from from producers. So, yeah, I, I that's my comment on it. Got it. Uh, Nick or uh, Aaron, would you guys care to share the question that you put in the chat box with the group? Sure. Yeah, so my question was, uh, what was the $26 a kilogram, you know, where, where, you, where is that listed? Um, one, of the, one of the issues what we're seeing personally yeah. is it's re revolving around the conversation right now. And that's, you know, bankability, financiers want to see offtake agreements. The off-taker wants to see financial agreements. They want to see stability in price. They want to know, you know, what is it going to be when you're finished building, you know, a plant? If it's going to be green, you know, solar could take up to two, three years, depending on regulations and, and environmental assessments and things like that. So it's it's like everybody kind of wants, to see, you know, it's like the snake eating the tail of the snake. It's It's everybody wants to know everything and at some point in time somebody just has to take a risk and jump into this and start producing so it's i'm very curious we're very curious on you know is there some sort of i know everything is otc right now over the counter um right now so it's it's really difficult to get a steady kind of authoritative price model um what we're seeing what we're doing with our off takers is basically saying you know we'll have it at you know let's just get an MOU together that says, you know, you'll take it from us at $10 a kilogram, but that can fluctuate with market prices, but let's just get that in right now today, then take that to the banks and, and see what we could do from there. So the question would be, is there any kind of a, a collective authoritative like pricing structure um, that you guys are seeing? And thank you. I'll, I'll respond on the on the pump price. It's that's a survey price. So I speak to all the producers. Well, we speak to all the producers in in California, um, asking them where the pricing is at. So it's a weighted average of all the stations. Um, let's just be mindful that it's the the price at the the retail price at the pump. So it can it includes transportation, um, liquefaction, and storage and the, the price of the station. So that's hence why it's extremely elevated. Pricing there is probably roughly $3 a kilogram, $2 a kilogram. Um, and like JL mentioned, the feedstock is natural gas. So uh, what we envision is there's gonna be more spot spot demand or more indications in the US Gulf Coast and in Canada um, for both hydrogen and ammonia. And that's the approach that we're taking of like, hey, we're seeing this in the market. We're seeing that in the market. Um, does this reflect to what you're seeing? Um, simply like a survey market, um, capturing the over-the-counter um, bids, offers, and trades like you mentioned, or OTC like you mentioned, Aaron. But I agree with what you're saying. 
JL adds, hey, feedstock is also electricity, by the way. And um, uh, Nick, what's your perspective? Tell us uh, who you're with and where you're coming from here. Yeah, <clears throat> thank you, John. Uh, my name is Nick Prokopuk. I sit in Houston as part of Total Energies. And we have, I have a bit of a unique position in that we are both hydrogen consumers, hydrogen producers, ammonia producers, methanol, SAF. Uh, we're in through the whole value chain. I specifically work in the renewables group uh, focused on offshore wind and, are, and we're evaluating potential for green hydrogen uh, using renewable sources. So I had asked a question in the chat, um, you know, to maximize IRA credits, we would be targeting uh, a carbon intensive renewable power with under 0.45 kilogram of CO2 per kilogram hydrogen renewables in that case, that would give you the maximum $3 per kilogram IRA credit. Um, and my question was specifically, and, and I apologize, this is too detailed or too into the weeds, but if you talk about procuring RECs uh, to secure your renewable power, um, there's been, of course, talks about should RECs be hourly matched, daily matched, monthly, annual matching. Um, and I was just looking, Santiago, if you had a crystal ball or any insights, what the IRS is thinking, are they leaning you know, to perhaps what Europe is doing, right? Annual matching at first followed then then transferring, or at least I believe transferring to monthly matching on RECs or decoupling matching altogether, um, which would be a very unique situation where you could theoretically procure RECs in uh, the wind belt in, in uh, whatever, uh, Indiana and Ohio and electrolyze and in Mobile or, or in Mississippi on the Gulf Coast where the loads are. So any insights you have on that? I do not have a crystal ball. However, there are a lot of hydrogen producers that have given the same feedback uh, or thinking the same, but they're all waiting. They're pending feedback from the from the uh, Inflation Reduction Act, IRS. Yeah. Because um, it's, it's a great strategy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's it's great for some and not so great for others potentially right depending on where you sit in that in that chain yeah my, my question to you nick is how would you certify that that hydrogen produced with your renewables is indeed low carbon or labeled as green or has that carbon intensity you well so very selfishly as an offshore wind and renewables developer i said you would need to have hourly matching of your this electron made that that molecule yeah. um, although that's again me selfishly as a renewables guy total energies as a whole i'm sure would not want me saying that at all because we have of course larger objectives as a company for hydrogen production uh, specifically for um methanol and, and e-methane products that's for now but for self-use for for self-decarbonization of our own refinery assets in Europe primarily. We today don't see yet a strong path to market in the United States for green hydrogen at, at you know, utility scale at, at whatever, 250,000 tons plus per year. We don't see that yet at at least at price points that are that are tenable for green hydrogen, but I'm curious if others do see that. The just, just if I sorry, I'll, I'm, I'm gonna ramble on here for a bit, John. Um, no, we see the specifically on 
the cost effectiveness of steam methane reformed blue hydrogen with carbon capture, you know, because now with the 45Q credits, you have an additional way to valorize what was previously a penalty item there in the emissions and the, the, the delta there between green hydrogen and this steam methane reformed hydrogen with carbon capture. Let's give the floor an opportunity to respond to that. Or, or Santiago, do you have any uh, thoughts on what Nick offered there? No, we can, we can open it to the floor. So, so one of the comments that came from uh, one of our colleagues, Stein Brecka, he's like, can you talk a little bit more on the risk management on pricing? He finds that interesting. And how to do that? Uh, okay, so on commodities, uh, something that we've usually do, we think of natural gas, think of agriculture, is we work with uh, publishing pricing, and then that leads to a derivative or exchanges, future markets, and then you can hedge, you can control your risk, mitigate your risk, and so on, so on. Because we're early on in the hydrogen, low carbon hydrogen and ammonia space, the, the best options that we have, and it kind of adds to Aaron's point on the when you're a project developer and you're trying to uh, do a cost of production or a model to see your levelized cost, what it would, what it, that price would look using your your asset in let's say two to three years. That to me is your best option as of right now, or we believe that's the best option as of right now to see what your cost could be in that in that in so in the future. However, for pricing, there's not much for mitigating your risk because fun uh, volatility. There's still going to be volatility. Your your feedstock is going to fluctuate. So it would have to be in some sort of it formula, it being tied to the feedstock. Um, so that's, that's my best take. It, it's a complex um, question. Right. So uh, we're needing to go ahead and come to your last comments, but we had a response from Aaron just saying, you know, the RECs are a great way to allow free market to solve the problem and drive demand for renewables explicitly. So thanks for that, Aaron. And any last words before we sign off today? Um, maybe I can bring on something that Nick mentioned um, about IRS guidance. Mm -hmm. It is something we are watching as well. Um, it is due August this year. So we are really looking, it, it will really impact uh, what's going to happen because if, now I see very optimistic cost of production in the US based on this uh, $3 per kilogram hydrogen IRA credit. But if IRS decides to follow a guidance that is matching RFNDO requirements of Europe, and they go for uh, a temporal correlation of hourly matching requirement, then that will change the price of feedstock significantly. And then hence the pricing of the final product, even though there would be a very generous um, IRA incentive. So that's just one thing I wanted to add. So we really, really, regulations are top number one to be able to discuss pricing. And this is completely a black box right now, unfortunately. I agree 100%. Thank you, Ryan. So thank you very much, Santiago. That'll be the last word. Thank you, Aaron. So how was the expert talk and discussion today? Um, Please take a few minutes now and answer the FTE survey on the screen. It's really important to let us know. Today's post-show notes will hit your mailbox very soon. 
Hosho products like the attendee contact list, transcripts, summary, personal introductions, branding, and more available through the FTU membership or single show purchase option. Hey, check out the membership plans and select the best one that's for you. Two important announcements. Hewlett Packard Enterprise, HPE, is partnering with FTE to launch a new thought leadership channel called Solving Problems with AI. It kicks off May 16th with guest expert Dale Brown, Global Head of Sales, AI Machine Learning with HPE. Following week, May 19th, FTE welcomes special guest Lorenzo Simonelli, CEO of Baker Hughes. Stay tuned and register uh, when the details come out shortly. Next up on From the Experts, next Tuesday, uh, the way companies buy and sell power is changing for good. Google Cloud Energy Transition leader, Trinity Lloyd, shares how they're breaking the tradition, sorry, they're breaking down the traditional barriers and silos to create smart, affordable, low-carbon purchasing solutions. Don't miss that. May 2nd, Sirinor CEO co-founder Abhijit Inander leads the discussion on decarbonizing the aviation industry and why hydrogen is the right solution for that. With over 2,000 members, 20,000 followers, and 25 industries, the FT network is growing fast thanks to you. Please check out our library of expert content available to members on YouTube, Apple, and Spotify, and register for more shows like this one on our website at ft.network. Well, folks, we're out of time. Thanks once again, Santiago, and for all of you from the experts on the FTE show. Take care, everybody.